listening to Fireside Chats with Roadside Shaman on Open Lines Radio. Follow Hannah on Instagram at Roadside Shaman. Follow Open Lines Radio on Instagram at Open Lines Radio. And check out Open Lines Radio online at www.openlinesradio.com. Now stay tuned for Fireside Chats. Enjoy! Yeah, so my social security number has been compromised apparently, guys. Do you ever get those random spam calls? Sorry about the disruption. I will try to gather my thoughts and get back to where I was. Um, I should have put my phone in airplane mode. (laughs) Oh, well. Next time, maybe, if I remember. Okay, the point is... I assure you I did have a point. Um, I'm struggling right now to get back to where I was in the flow of the discussion. Well, the point is, I don't fuck with Western medicine and therefore I don't fuck with psychiatry. Psychology, yes, we all have psychology and I would love to study the psyche as much as possible and I love to integrate and I love to have talk therapy and there's lots of valuable systems of analysis and connection integration available to us but generally speaking psychiatric medicine and the goals thereof I just want nothing to do with so there you go that's where I am now but where I was in you know the 1900s is a whole other story I, um, as a young college student, uh, undiagnosed, autistic, deeply traumatized, morbidly obese for the majority of my lifespan, um, sexually abused, etc. Uh, this person was having a real hard time finding reasons to hang around. It just felt like a real difficult thing to be here, to be doing what I was doing. I had lived in Southern California in Fallbrook. Um, I'd lived in Los Angeles, you know, basically Southern California my whole life. And then when college happened, I really wanted to get away. I wanted to get out of that environment. I wanted to get away from the stress of my family and their evaluation and their pressure. And I felt like I wanted to just have my own college experience without anybody defining me by who I used to be. I really felt like I wanted to be somebody other than who I was. I didn't want to be the person who had had that childhood. I wanted to be a different person. And it worked pretty well. I had a good time. I was really enjoying college. Um, And the first year, I felt successful. It was a good freshman year. I didn't even put on the freshman 15 because I was already so fucking fat that like there wasn't really much room to grow. I think I stayed the same or maybe even lost a few pounds. Um, I made friends. I had a difficult time with my roommate because they were very problematic in their own way um, to the point where they actually got uh, relocated to another room and I ended up having a private room for about 
about half a semester, I had a private room. Um, and then I got another roommate and that was nice. Um, actually I think I had a whole semester with a private room. Cause yeah, cause I think Satsuki came in my second year. Anyways, doesn't matter. The point is I was up at Humboldt state in Northern California doing my thing, having a great time learning, doing my major. I was a theater major at that time. I really wanted to focus on makeup, special effects, makeup in particular, because while I was a theater major, my goal was, um, to work in the film industry. And I really was interested in, in special effects makeup at that time. Um, the longer I studied theater and the more involved I got in the process, the more I realized that I wanted to be, um, further out on the creative vision side, not so detail focused on one part of the project. I really wanted to have a more, uh, impactful vision. And so I started thinking about, uh, production design, um, scene design and directing, um, producing and directing at that time. And so by the time I transitioned out of Humboldt down to Fullerton, I had kind of switched my focus away from makeup and into scenic design, um, well, technical design and, and whatever. Anyways, this is rambling a bit, but the point is my first year was pretty successful. I had a really good time. My second year, when I went back up there, kind of early on in the in the year, early on in the semester, um, I was at my psychology of women class, my lecture. It was kind of like an evening lecture class, as I recall, like probably started at four or five and went into the evening. Um, and I loved this class. I loved the teacher. She was incredibly compassionate and well-informed. And I just, I really thought it was a good class. The issue was we were watching a film clip, a documentary about media representation, you know, representations of women in media over time, like in advertisements and in print and things like that. And it was weird because it's kind of like this onslaught of all the stuff that you're bombarded with as a female growing up, um, all those messages that you get that you don't realize you're getting until they line them all up and it's like it decodes it and you go, oh yeah, that is what I was getting every time I flipped through 17 magazine and I didn't realize it, you know? Um, but so I was watching that, but there was a certain moment where, um, there was a, comic shown it was like a cartoon from like playboy magazine or something it was a vulgar pornographic cartoon but the storyline was something like a a teen girl um uh on the phone talking with a friend or something and saying no thanks i can't hang out tonight my dad has something for me to do around the house but her this drawing is shows this really gross looking older man with standing behind her with her hand, his hand down her pants. And just seeing that image, it triggered me greatly. It like burst open the big box of denial that I had hidden my molestation in that I had kind of like put aside. I knew that I was molested. I talked about it. I told certain friends, like every once in a while, I'd be like, yeah, that happened to me. Like, but I wouldn't say any details about what happened. And I wouldn't really, I just wouldn't really talk about it. And so something about that image 
I started having the classic signs of panic attack where I couldn't sit still. I had to get out of there. I started feeling nauseating, sweating. I thought I was going to throw up. And I was just like, I got to get out of this class. And so I excused myself. I started walking. At that time, I smoked. Um, I smoked. Yeah, I was thinking if that was clothes or regular. It doesn't matter. Sometimes I did both. But I walked out of the class. I started smoking, walking um, the cool night air. And um, I walked right back to my dorm room because back then I did not have a cell phone. They weren't that um, commonplace to have. And, and so I walked back to, right back to my dorm room. And without even thinking, I dialed my older sister's number. Like it just was automatic because she was my safe person. She still is. When I'm in a real deep panic moment, I usually don't call my folks. I usually call my older sister. Um, when I'm really in trouble or feel scared, I, I usually call her first. So... Um, I was crying and kind of uncontrollable, like just panicked. I couldn't really understand what was happening, but I just felt really scared and I needed to talk to her. And when I started talking with her, I told her what happened, what I was watching and what I was doing. And then that made, made it necessary or whatever for her, for me to tell her why I was so upset about seeing that cartoon. And what I didn't expect at that point was there to be some, mutual revelations about our experiences and it kind of like it blew up a lot of other things in our whole life structure at that point just because um you know she started crying then her husband got worried her husband called my parents my parents came to her house it was like it was this weird conflagration of like everybody knew what went down the moment it happened because of how undone we both were in the moment of that conversation and revelation and so um I immediately began therapy up there I was still going to college I finished out my semester but I wasn't doing super well and I definitely knew I wasn't gonna feel okay doing another semester up there and so I made the decision partway through the semester to transfer um, down to another school, probably Fullerton. Um, I don't know if I knew for sure I was going to transfer to Fullerton at that time. I was kind of choosing a couple different options, but I knew that I was going to move back South and I was going to go somewhere closer to family because I felt like I really needed to be closer to my family during that season. Um, and so at Christmas break at the end of the semester, my mom, uh, and I think my sister came up and got me my mom for sure and uh, and said goodbye to Humboldt said goodbye to the beautiful lush green of the Pacific Northwest and I still crave to go back there My bo- something in my body craves that forest space probably my Grandpa Clark's genome that was built in Spokane craves that green forest of the Pacific Northwest. Um, I don't know. I don't know. (sighs) So I was back in Southern California. I was back. And so what I did was, um, I did one, uh, summer off or something I took a little bit of time off or did I take a I don't even think I don't even think I took 
I didn't take a semester off. That's right. I didn't take a semester off. I, I went straight from the, the winter break into the, I started the spring semester. I, I, I started the spring semester at Fullerton. Um, I got an apartment with a friend in Brea, which is real near Fullerton. I got a part-time job. I took on a full-time course of classes in my major because by then I was, you know, a second year college student with some credits behind me and I just went to work. I, I think I did keep seeing some therapist a few times. I think I tried Prozac for a while. They tried to put me on Prozac and that was like epic fail. That was like bad news bears. Oh my God. Like talk about a bad reaction to a medication. That was not fun. I don't recommend Prozac for everybody. I mean, I'm sure it's been beneficial and helpful to some people, but for me it was like, well, like I said, bad news bears. It was not good. So I'm going to Fullerton. I'm a theater major. I'm doing projects. I'm being creative. I've got all my like art materials. I'm, you know, very proximal to the industry that I want to camp out in and feeling like it's a reality because a lot of the people that go to my school end up having really uh, good careers in the business. So like I'm really feeling a lot of potential there, but something was not right. I was really, really struggling with the balance. And it's like, it's a midpoint. It's a 50, 50. You lean in, you lean out. If you lean in, you lean all the way in, man. And you want to be here. If you start leaning out, man, things get really crappy real fast. If you start feeling like, I don't know if I want to be here. That's when all of those subconscious self injurious behaviors start happening because your body listens to you. Your body says, oh, you don't want to be here? We can totally, like, systems down. We can, like, you know, turn off your liver. No problem. You don't need your kidneys, do you? We can shut that down. Bye. You know? Your your gut can totally shut down. Can stop making brain chemicals per your orders. So, like, in your heart, in your heart space, if you feel that lack of desire to be here, if you feel that craving for the end, craving for the other side, wanting what isn't more than what is. If you lean into that space, geez, man, fall backwards, fall backwards and tumble down the hillside sometimes. So I don't know, man. I don't know what was really bothering me that at that point, except for that I hadn't been here long enough. I hadn't piled up enough good experiences behind my crappy childhood. You know, I didn't have enough time in my own sovereignty, choosing my own life path, writing my own story to see that it could be good, that it could be light, that it could be fun, that it could be joyous and wonderful. Even in the pain and the desecration, I could have wonderful ecstasy, deep comfort, blessing, communion, fellowship, I didn't have enough of those good positive experiences to balance out all of the bullshit that I was trying to get through. So it's like ballast in a submarine, you know, sometimes you got to offload shit. You just got to let things go so that you can bubble up to the surface. And that's what I needed to do then. So 
I wanted to let shit go, but I didn't understand. I wanted to let, I wanted to let all the bad go, but I didn't realize that I had to lose the good in order to lose the bad also. So yeah, at some point in the midst of a really bad, uh, emotional period that was probably also synced up with some sort of menstrual thing because that's how systems work in the body that hormones are very significant and do affect things um I made a decision to peace out I made a choice to be like nah I don't want to do this anymore I'm gonna go sleepy night nights bye-bye um and it was clearly illogical. It was unreasonable. It was beyond reason. It was without reason. There was no reason happening. There was just emotion and choice and decision. And so I um, took uh, my number 11 blade that I used to cut out models and find, you know, paper detailed work. It was an art tool. I'd use it to shave chalk or bind charcoal. It's a very, very fine pointed scalpel, basically. It's an X-Acto knife that has a very, very, very fine point. I took that and I thought about cutting my veins open. So first of all, I considered the people around me and I didn't want to leave a mess. I don't know why I didn't do the bathtub thing. Oh, yes, I do. I remember why. Okay, guys, you want to hear how considerate I am? AKA codependent. I didn't want to make it difficult for the people um, removing my body after my, you know, evacuation from it. And so I didn't get in the bathtub because I was so fucking fat. I thought they're not going to want to haul 300 pounds out of a bathtub or sorry, 280, whatever I was back then, 275 something. Um, so I went to my bedroom instead and I sat on the end of my bed and I laid garbage bags underneath and then a nice pretty blanket or towel because I wanted it to be somewhat, you know, beautiful, but I didn't want to leave a mess and I didn't want my roommate to have to pay a cleanup deposit or something. Like, these are not logical thoughts, you guys. Do you hear this? Do you hear this? You want to die, but you don't want to make your roommate have to pay a cleaning deposit because you don't want them to be mad at you from the grave. Like, what the fuck? That is not logic. That is emotion. That is nonsense thoughts. That is a 21-year-old trying to make sense of the world. Or 20? Was I 20 or 21? I can't even remember now. Anyways. The point is, I laid this all out. And then I was like, well, I don't want to cut my wrists open. Because if I accidentally cut a ligament... I won't, I'll lose grip on my hands and my hands won't work. I won't be able to do art anymore. I still want to be able to do clay and, and beadwork. I need the motility of my hands. So I'm not going to do that. What can I do instead? I know I'll cut my ankles open because those veins are easy to cut and they'll bleed too. And if I have to use a wheelchair, whatever, at least I can still make art, right? So this is, I'm already dual tracking my possible survival and the consequences of these choices and behaviors and the fact that like I want to not be here anymore so it's not that I didn't want to be here I wasn't sure if I wanted to be here I didn't want to be where I was 
but I didn't want to be how I was anymore. And I wanted, like, I just wanted to, I wanted things to be different. And I didn't know how to ask for help. And so this was the true definition of a cry for help because I did not want to die really clearly because if I just wanted to die, I wouldn't have cared the damage that I did to my wrists because I was like not needing them anymore. Right? It's totally illogical. Or it has its own internal sense of logic within the experience is what I should really say. It has its own internal sense of logic within the experience, but outside the experience, it, it doesn't square with anything. So yeah, so I sliced my ankles open or tried to. It was super painful and I barely got a few little scrapes through that were clearly not going to bleed me enough to make me die. And I just basically said, God, there's got to be an easier way to do this. This fucking hurts. This shouldn't hurt so much. Like I wanted it to be over, not to hurt more. And so then I remembered the magic of sleeping pills. So I did what any, you know, sensible Cancerian would do. I bandaged up my attempted suicide wounds, (laughs) covered them up with socks, got in the car, drove down to the store and bought a bunch of sleeping pills just over the counter and I think some wine maybe did I have alcohol too I don't even know like I said I can't even remember if I was legal enough to buy alcohol at that point but I definitely had some sleeping pills they were blue in case you were wondering they were like that blue they looked like the blue pill from the the matrix kind of like a a blue liquid gel um, and so nitol, I'm just like trying to take it. I took like a bunch of them and I started feeling instead of sleepy, I started feeling that like weird heart palpitation, heart racing, really awake alert thing. And that freaked me the fuck out because I was like, no, I'm supposed to sleep. Why am I not sleeping? Something's wrong. What's wrong? Why can't I sleep? And that, that point where I realized something was wrong, I knew I knew, I guess, or I felt like I needed help because it wasn't going... None of my plans were working out. All the ways that I was trying to deal with this were not working out. Everything was going bad. Everything was going badly. It was going wrong. And so at that point, I called my roommate and my roommate called 911. And 911 took me to the hospital and pumped my stomach full of charcoal, activated charcoal... And watched me while I, you know, dozed in and out of semi-consciousness until they could transfer me to a psych ward. So, I was incarcerated on a 5150 or a 5130 or whatever it is that makes you be held against your will for three days. I went into... um, one of those, oh God, there's a name for it. They used to have those fucking commercials with the candle. I was growing up in LA. Uh, God, can't remember. Oh, well, I'll Google it later and maybe mention it in a future chat. But the point is, I was held in a place. They basically talked to me enough to find out what happened and I kind of told them what happened and the order of events in which I did it and they realized that I was just 
I needed help and I needed support, but I wasn't really trying to die, die. Like I wasn't, I don't know. They didn't keep me there. So I guess they decided I wasn't that serious about my suicide attempt or something because they let me go after like two days, two and a half days. I didn't quite meet the whole three day hold. They let me out before the three days was up because the most they can legally hold you without a judge signing something is three days. So at least that's good. I was able to talk my way out of the lab coats without needing a lawyer. Um, but, you know, that's, that is the system. That's the truth. That's the mental health background that I have. I mean, that's one of them. I mean, there's other stuff that I've gone through and there's other evaluations I've had and things like that. And there's other difficult moments and challenging moments. But that one was the one where I was like, yeah, you just need to tell people what you have going on, dude, because you can't handle this on your own. And so after that point, I started um, talking more with friends and family, building up my support network of community and, and just, you know, being open about what my experiences were. I think that that was really transformative too. the therapists that I got during that time. They were OK. They were decent. Like, in other words, they didn't make things worse. Right. That's that's good. That's good. If a therapist can work with you without making things worse, that's really good. But I don't know how much healing they really gave me. They didn't really help me transform my ways of being that much. They didn't really... Like, they helped me to depersonalize my trauma in a way that I could look at it safely on my own, I guess. Because they helped me understand that what I experienced was part of a pattern... And not necessarily something that was my fault or personally, like, because I did something wrong or bad. It was just sort of like, yeah, that's what predators do, dude. They groom you. And then they come and fucking diddle you. Like, that's what happens. So, it happened to you. But it's like a car accident. Car accidents happen too. But we don't feel like we're bad people because we had a car accident. Usually. Usually. Drunk drivers, sure, maybe they do a little bit, but maybe they should feel like a little bit of a judgment over the fact that they had an accident and they were intoxicated during it. I don't know. I don't know if shame is valuable. I don't know if shame is valuable for any reason. Maybe if people didn't feel shame, they wouldn't feel the desire to diddle kids in their bedrooms at night. Just a thought. I feel like Angie is saying these words to me right now. It's not even my words. Telepathy's weird. I feel like that's what the internet is. It's just us figuring out our telepathy so that we can stop thinking it's not true. And like enough synchronicities happen and enough people share the same stuff and all of a sudden you start to realize, yeah, we all are all thinking we're all we are all sharing the same thought bubble. It's like dragonfly, eye, mind, stereo vision. In that moment of integration when we really do start feeling each other's feels, thinking each other's thoughts, speaking each other's words. That's the dragonfly I mind for sure. 30,000 lenses strong. Anywho. Yeah. So 
I didn't really get much help from the psychiatric model. Um, the therapist that I had, I think that while they do align with some of the pathological supports, I think that they had a much more spiritual leaning to their practice. And so we were always working with the spiritual elements of my psychological issues. And so that's how I found my healing was through my spirituality and my embodiment. Understanding my body and my spirit helped me heal my brain, my, my mind, you know. Um, and I don't really think that there is a division between the mind and the body, to be honest. I think it's all connected. It just helps us label and sort our actions and, and behaviors so that we can hopefully... Um, modify them more consciously and conscientiously. Um, but yeah, I think it's all related. It's all together. So anyways, I feel like this is pretty much what needs to be said about that. I had a suicide attempt in my 20s. I made it through. So I have no judgment for anybody who happens to not make it through that attempt or actuality. Because I always feel like any successful suicide attempt is just an accident. It's somebody didn't get them in, get to them in time, you know? Somebody didn't get to them in time. That's all. A successful su- suicide attempt is an accident. So I don't add any additional shame burdens onto it. Um... It's literally just an accident. And I feel badly for people that suffer so much that they set up the conditions for those accidents to happen because I understand what it is to have that kind of um, pain. I can tell you that like the amount of pain that I was in back then doesn't nearly compare to the amount of pain that I felt in other seasons where I actually decided to stay, you know? Like, my lust for life, my desire to be here, was totally crafted in my near death. All you need to stop having suicidal ideation is to fucking, like, almost die sometimes. Like, literally. It doesn't work for everybody. Sometimes almost dying makes you want to die all the way, you know? Um, But for some people, almost dying is the thing that convinces them that they really want to be here. So for me... My almost dying came with the prize of my karma package, you know, that egoic copy-paste karma package of making a kid. Um, you, you You definitely expand your karmic influence by having a child, by duplicating yourself. Like, that's a whole other ball of wax. So... If you really don't want to be here again, don't have kids because if you have kids, you tend to care about what's going on with them and then you want to be here. You want to stick around. So kids aren't the only reason to be here, but they are a pretty good fucking reason, you know? Um, I really was scared to be a parent and I was scared of fucking him up, ruining him, breaking him you know? Um, and so I started going to therapy when I was pregnant with him and I started going to therapy with a really, 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 really good therapist, an excellent therapist who actually had the capacity to help me. 
to help me heal, to help me grow. And it was totally healed in relationship. The healing happened in relationship because she was a safe person and she was the first person that I ever really truly felt safe with to be my authentic self in totality without judgment. I I felt no judgment from her ever. I felt sometimes concern or fearfulness based off of certain choices I was making or behaviors I had. She was worried about me, but I never felt judgment because Nancy is magic and I love her. I love my Nancy. You guys got to get a Nancy in your life, even if she's not named Nancy. Even if they're not named Nancy, get a Nancy in your life. Find a good person you can talk to without judgment or shame or criticism who is, you know, compassionate with you. It's deeply healing on a relational and interpersonal level. So once I had that relationship, I started having a safe relationship with myself. I taught myself how to be safe with myself. I stopped being mean to myself. I started talking to myself the way my therapist talks to me. And then I started talking to myself the way my best friends talk to me and my parents talk to me when they're really like nice to me, when they're, when they're not irritated with me, you know, or the way my siblings do when they're not irritated with me. Basically, I started talking to myself the way that I talk to other people. I turned my gentle, compassionate, cancerian, nurturing side inward towards myself. And I started really, really, really healing. But before that, I went through a lot of suffering. And I don't like to talk about it usually because I don't like to affirm old stories. And I don't like to um, just be in the trauma, you know. But today, right now, when the Aquarian moon is about to shift into Pisces, and we are in, like I said like 87 million planets are in retrograde right now. Um, It just felt like the clearing that needed to happen. The, you know, speak it today. If not today, when? And if not today, then never again. That's, that's when I, right before I push record, that's what rung through my head. Because I was telling myself, you don't want to talk about this. You don't want to talk about your suicide attempt. You don't want to talk about being incarcerated. I, I was incarcerated, guys. Held against my will. Told where I could be. Given specific things to wear. Told what to eat. What I could eat. When I could eat it. Had a schedule. Okay? I was fucking incarcerated. And yeah, it was almost 20 years ago. Right? And yeah, it was fucking only a couple days. But the point is, I did it. I went through it. I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like to be incarcerated. And so it fucking sucks. Don't do it. Do what you can to avoid it and do what you can to free those that are in that space now. So think about people that are refugees, people that are incarcerated for marijuana, people that are incarcerated for mental health issues, people that are incarcerated for agedness, for physical disability. There are tons of people that are incarcerated because of physical disability. Okay? Like they literally just can't get around and they don't have a familial support network to help them. And so they're stuck in a nursing home with no capacity to set their own schedule or determine what they do ever. It fucking sucks. 
And there's tons of people in our society that live that reality. So just send some compassion up to them. Look around. Try to find ways to free people when you can. Bring your freedom to them if you can't free them. You know what I mean? In other words, visit people that are incarcerated. Visit people that are stuck in nursing homes and prisons and mental health places and hospitals. Visit people that are incarcerated. Bring your freedom to them. If you can't free them, bring your freedom to them. And let's all remember and realize and acknowledge that the U.S. is currently operating for profit incarcerative systems that are concentration camps. We're just calling it that. They're concentration camps. That's what they are. That's what it is to be American. We're running concentration camps here. Our government is doing it. Your tax dollars at work, ladies and gents. So if you don't want it to be like that, it's time to riot. Sorry, but that's how all of the other concentration camps ended. With war, riot, violence, you know, tearing down the fences. That's how it ended. Mass arrests and riots. And I think that it's... It is unconscionable that we have children in cages with mylar blankets, you know, sitting on concrete. Unbelievable in this day and age. I cannot believe that with all of the technology, all of the resources that we have in our hands right now, that that's the reality. And the only thing I can think of is it's on purpose. They're doing it punitively, publicly, like putting someone's head on a spike on the road on the way into Rome. They're doing it to threaten other refugees from coming here. And I'm like, maybe if those other places weren't so filled with violence, usually caused by the military industrial complex that's centered in our government, then they wouldn't be needing to leave their lovely South American countries or Middle Eastern countries or European countries or African countries. Wherever they're from, they're leaving it because it fucking sucks there right now for them. They wouldn't be trying to come here away from their family of origin and their native language and all of their cultures and rituals and foods, they wouldn't leave their hometown if it wasn't fucking terrible, okay? They're not coming here because they just want to, quote, build a better life. These are refugees fleeing asylum. They are not typical immigrants. So whatever you might feel about whether immigrants are good or bad for society, we can have that debate another time. That's not who's locked up in those fucking cages right now. The people that are locked up in those cages are are refugees seeking asylum. They are fleeing violence. They deserve our compassion. They deserve rescue mode. Okay? They deserve... Empathy, compassion, that's what they deserve. The gift of hospitality. They deserve the gift of hospitality. And surely they're not getting that right now. Instead of sending troops to the border, we should have, sent, we should have been sending um, uh, social workers, chaplains, nurses, teachers, preschool caregivers and elderly caregivers. This is who we should have sent there artists and poets to document the wonder of the sea of humanity in transition. That's who we should have sent there. We shouldn't have sent tanks and military people. 
but you know, all borders are illusion. All borders are made up. And so I want nations to go away. I want little communities to solidify their identities into more compassionate and concrete ways. And I want these like superstructures of nation state to just disappear because they don't serve us. They weaponize us. They don't serve us. Our nations don't serve us. They weaponize us. So why should we serve the nation? We should weaponize against the nation and dissolve it. There. That's my anarchy of the day. Anyways. Yeah. I, um... I don't like the major mental health structures and I don't like the incarcerative process that our government is participating in and I want it to go away. And I want you to understand that my desire for these things comes from a place of deep embodied empathy. I have been incarcerated. I don't think there's shame in it. I think it was an accident of, of timing that I didn't die that day and that I was able to live on but I did not appreciate the experience of being incarcerated when I was put into my room at the end of this weird experience and they told me where I was going to have to go to sleep that night you know um this other lady was in there this woman was already a patient in that room was a shared room and she had limited English school skills and I don't know what her native language was, but she just kept saying, I prefer private. I prefer private. I prefer private. I prefer private. She just kept saying that over and over and over again because she didn't want me there. She wanted she wanted her own space in her own room. And I'm like, yeah, I prefer private too, lady. I don't want to be here either. They're fucking putting me here and it's not my decision. So can you stop saying that? But she couldn't stop saying it because she really just wanted her privacy back. And I had crashed her party. She had had a private room up to that point, probably for half a day or a day. And all of a sudden I'm there ruining her day. Because someone else pushed me into her circle. Because neither one of us was in control of our experiences at that time. And it was really unpleasant. So I prefer private. And when you're incarcerated, you don't get any privacy. So just, uh, that's all. I think that that's all that I wanted to say and needed to say is that I understand what it is to be incarcerated. I prefer private. I wish that other people would allow these people their privacy. I wish that they would allow them their asylum. They have the right to be heard for asylum they are legal nothing that they're doing is illegal and the fact that people call it illegal is just wrong they're do- what they're doing is totally legal we have laws about seeking asylum and all these people are are following them so there's just so fucking many of them that we haven't set up the right support structures in place to to accommodate them but they are following the law and our government definitely has the resources to meet their needs they're just being assholes on purpose 
in order to dissuade anyone else from coming here. That's my opinion. Take it or leave it. I want them to stop being assholes on purpose. I want them to start being nice. They know how to be nice. They can be nice. All right, I'm calling it. That's it. That's the episode. That's all she wrote. That's all they wrote. That's all they said. Speak it now. I'm glad I ain't dead. Yet. (laughs) Someday, I'll be glad to be dead, but not today. And not for a while. And I'm glad that you're not dead. I'm glad that you're listening to this and all of our ongoing conversations. It's really helpful to feel connected and to hear each other's perspectives. So I'm going to say ta-ta for now. See y'all later. Chukma chipisalacho, which means hello. I will see you. For we Chickasaw have no word for goodbye. And I will say chihololi, which means I love you like you love me. Because reciprocity is reality. Chihololi, 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 chihololi. Gator.